Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Oklahoma FC Podcast. Uh, just a quick side note, um, if you are a fan of the Switchbacks, or if you're an Energy fan who does not want to hear anything else about the Swill Park game, um, I will post the time in which we uh, I do start breaking down the Swope Park energy, or not the Swope Park, sorry, the Switchbacks and the energy game on the description. It'll be on the description on SoundCloud. I'll also post the time either on the description on Twitter or on a comment following the initial tweet on Twitter. I do plan on getting this out later today. I'm currently recording this on Thursday. We normally will have our episodes out on Wednesday. Um, you know, I do apologize about this late delay. Um, Ashley is not with me. We did record on Tuesday, and she before she left on uh, uh, Wednesday morning uh, for a work conference in San Antonio. Um, you know, I kept her up late on Tuesday, and I told her, you know, don't worry about putting the podcast up. I'll take care of it. And, you know, I'm not very good with technology, and my luck is awful. So, you know, I got here during the morning, I started working on it, and I, you know, my computer shuts down. So, I had to redo my assignment because I totally lost it, and um, I also totally lost this podcast. I couldn't start recording this podcast because I had to redo the, the assignment that I had uh, probably about halfway done, um, because it was due today, this morning, so, um, yeah, I do apologize about that, guys, um, you know, it, it, it sucks, this computer, I need to get a new computer, but, um, you know, just a couple side notes real quick, if you do find us on Twitter, um, if you click on the people who we follow, you'll see the energy, and you'll also see the grid, but then you'll see a couple of these other pages that may or may not look familiar. Um, all these pages are uh, of other podcasts, uh, you know, that talks about professional soccer in this state. Um, we mentioned uh, a couple of these um, podcasts on uh, previous episodes. You know, we did talk about the Tulsa Soccer Show, and we also did talk about uh, the Scissor Tail podcast. Uh, one that we didn't talk about, though, which is, I think, a, re- a recently a new podcast, is uh, Tornado Alley. And essentially, it, it's kind of like the Tulsa Soccer Show. Um, they do cover the Roughnecks. It's actually from a guy off the to- Tulsa Soccer Show, but it's much more broader than just the Roughnecks. Uh, he talks about the USL. He talked about uh, the U.S. national team, you know, last week. I haven't been able to listen to any of the podcasts this week. Um, but, you know, I, I recommend you, if you're interested in professional soccer in this whole state, subscribe to all those pages and, li- you know, support them, listen to their podcasts. Um, you know, if you're just interested about the energy, then just subscribe to us as well as the Scissor Tail podcast. Um and if the the Tulsa Soccer Show, whenever they start uh, previewing the the Derby or the you know uh, Tornado Alley, then I will uh, retweet that out for you and let you guys know. Um, but really, if you're a fan of USO, Tornado Alley is not a bad follow in general. So, you know, with that being said, 
uh, we do have a game to recap. And it was a, a game that, you know, some Energy fans, you know, probably were disappointed in. Um, and obviously that's that's understandable because the, the offseason is is so long it seems like for for the fans uh for me in particular it seemed like it was forever um and the things that this team was able to do during the postseason and uh you know it, it was it was a, a rather disappointing showing uh against Swope Park but you know there are some positives to take away from the game which I will explain but um um you know I do plan on, um, you know, giving you my breakdown of the game. I I did watch the game a couple times this past week. I took notes of some plays during minutes. I don't think I'm going to go over all of them. But there, like I said, there was some positives to take away from the game. And there was some very good individual performances. Um, you know, one thing, though, that was really noticeable and had an effect on the game uh, was that Swope Park had five uh, major league uh, soccer players starting for for them. Um, this is something that James Poling did mention uh, in his article on News OK. Uh, it can be found on News OK. And it's very, uh, he brings up an interesting point in a sense that these MLS starters uh, appeared to be in better shape than the energy. And that's something that you would expect because the MLS season started before the USLs. So they were, you know, they were ahead of the schedule. Um, you know, I'm not, I, I don't think it, it's fair, honestly, to use the, the fact that they had five, uh, major league soccer players starting in their lineup. I don't think that is fair to say, you know, use as an excuse for, for the way we played. Because when you look around the league, um, San Antonio uh, FC managed a huge win on the road at Rio Grande, and they suited up three uh, Houston Dynamo players. So I, I, I'm, I'm not using that as an excuse. But... It definitely played a, a big outcome in the game. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard to predict these things of who they're going to have out on the pitch, um, you know, at the time of the game with these two two teams. Uh, and essentially, Swope Park is a two-team in disguise. Um, it, it was, it, you know, th there's definitely some things that we did learn about this team. Um, over the course of the game that we really didn't know uh, in, you know, during the uh, preseason. Um, but I, I think overall, I think it, it wasn't a great showing from us. Um, there's no way to sugarcoat that. But um, you know, there's definitely some good things to take from the game, which I'll mention. I think before I do get started... On talking about the game itself, uh, I'm not by any means saying that the the season is officially over. Um, you know the the energy or the Tulsa's of last year. Um, I, I'm you know we we just simply got beat. Um, we got we got beat in this game. 
and uh, it was in dominating fashion, really, from Swope Park, and really a, a, an impressive uh, showing from Swope Park, even the players who were not part of the MLS. But, um, you know, just a couple of, um, of things to know uh, in this game that was super strange in, in the sense that Swope Park announced that they did have five major league uh, soccer players playing, actually starting for them right before the game. One of the weirdest um, things that I've seen um, that I'm not going to argue about necessarily was uh, Cody Lorendi's yellow card. And this happened at the 14th minute. Um, you know, Lorendi, um, it, it, it was... I don't know if Cody, or not Cody, uh, but if uh, Daly got beat on this play or not. I actually went back to slow motion to um, um, watch it and to see exactly what happened. And Swope Park really had a very good um, game plan, tactically speaking, in this game. Um, you know, when the energy advanced forward, when they had the ball, Swope Park immediately countered, uh, to the far sides of, of the field, um, you know, where, where Dixon and Highland was, was trying to come back and play defense because they, they obviously were pushed up, um, you know, going on the attack, you know, that, that's where they normally attacked was, um, you know, at the far left and right sides of the pitch. But every now and then they would come into the middle of the pitch. And that's what we've seen here uh, was, I believe it was Solo um, or something like that for Swope Park. Um, he was able to uh, cut in towards the inside and uh, really get into the inside of Daly, uh, which is not where you want the Swope Park player to be. Which Daly and um, Cody Andrews, obviously, with only two of them being back there, had to be a little bit farther back. Um, you know, again, I don't think Daly necessarily got beat. And I say that because when I went back and I watched the, the replay, um, I don't know if, you know, Daly got the piece of the ball or if Sololi or Solo or whatever, if he decided to move the ball because he's seen Cody Lorendi coming out of the box. But um, it really looked like that the the uh, direction of the ball changed right before Cody Lorendi was able to make any kind of contact. Um, I could be wrong uh, on that. Lorendi, it's very possible Lorendi hit the ball. But just from the slow motion itself, it looked like that um, the ball started to change direction before Lorendi was able to make it. So I wonder if Daly, who looked like he got his leg up at that time, got a piece of the ball, or if it was um, Solo trying to draw a card or a free kick, which he was successful at doing both. Um, really, fortunately enough for the energy, um, it was only a yellow um you know i i really thought we were going to going to be down a man at that point because it looked like a clear red for me but you know again i'm not going to complain <laughs> so um that that was a, a very very interesting um um play but one of the uh 
positives to take away from the energy was the the goal and really it was before the goal even happened uh miguel or um yeah, Miguel's miss. You know, people are, you know, kind of typically think of Miguel missing the shot. And he, he should have made it. it. It looked like it was a, a clear shot. Um, it looked like he was falling backwards a little bit or to the side. And when he, he finally connected on the ball, the ball kind of took that direction as well and hit the post. But right before that, um, Jose Barril really fed in a really nice good pass to um, Woshek or Woj. Um, Wuchek, I think, is really how, how they pronounce it. And his shot was blocked. But it was a, a brilliant pass by um, Jose Barril. Um, that happened at the 22nd minute. But before that, the 20th minute, um, Cody Andrews really made a huge play. Uh, Swope Park was on the counterattack. And it, it was just Cody Andrews who was um, sprinting down um, with this Swope Park player. And the, the guy from the midfield crossed it. Again, I, I believe this was um, Sololi, but I, I'm not 100% sure who was down the pitch. But if the the cross would have been, um, if, if it was accurate, if, if it did work, then it was a one-on-one versus the keeper. But Cody Laurent, or not Cody Laurenti, um, Cody Andrews uh, managed to turn his back and uh, get get his back on the ball, so to speak, and uh, totally stopped what would have been a, a very dangerous p- uh, position um, for Cody Lorendi. So I thought that was a, a brilliant play by Cody Andrews. Um, you know, the, the goal itself or the energy... Uh, happened at the 24th minute it was literally it seemed like right after Miguel's miss it was on a set piece uh, Jose Brill delivered the assist to Cody Andrews uh, we've seen this actually in the preseason um, it was a really good goal for the energy um, and this is something that I thought was definitely beneficial for the team I said last week that this team scored early, then it can really impose their will on them. Um, and this is where I really think the team lost the game. Because I feel like that they didn't they didn't impose their will. I felt like that they actually took their their feet off off the pedal. And um, you know, Swope Park was able to then you know get us get themselves established in the game and really uh open up the game whenever they scored at the 42nd minute with the Belmar goal and uh you know this is the 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 second goal I'll talk about later that Swope Park scored you know I'm not necessarily going to be upset about that because of what how it actually went down um, of course, I'm upset the other team scored, but it's one of those things where the energy was really unlucky. And then when they scored their third goal, too, this it was because we were down and we had guys up forward, which I'll explain later. But, you know, the, this, the first goal, though, in the 42nd minute by Belmore, um, the, this goal was the one that really uh, hurt the energy. And I would argue this is the goal that cost them the game. Um, because, you, you know, uh, to to this point, 
you know, at, at the 24th minute, when the energy did score, at that time, the energy had six shots. This was at the 24th minute. And then after the 24th minute, so the, the 25th minute on down to the end of the first half, the energy, energy only managed two shots. It, you know, what happened after the energy scored is that instead of pressing Swope Park, which we seen, you know, the major, during the majority of the tw- uh, first 24 minutes, um, it, they really kind of played back a little bit more and more content, but they really played more content from for the majority of the time, from the 24th minute to the 42nd minute. You know, I understand you can't um, play press defense entirely, you know, for for the entire game. Um, but you, you got to be able to do these intervals, but do it wisely. And, you know, doing it for a period of almost 20 minutes is, is too much in this league. You know, we've seen this with... Um, Seattle Sounders 2 this weekend when they played against uh, Sacramento. Uh, Seattle Sounders got up early, 1-0, and Sacramento uh, was able to move the ball around, gain a lot of the possession, and put in two goals uh, after uh, Seattle scored because Seattle, instead of pressing, um, really was playing contently on defense. They, They... they, they didn't they weren't playing with that same intensity um, you know the when the energy was also to note and this was really for the entire game when the energy didn't possess the ball they really ran a one five four um, the original uh, position or formation was a four four two it was an odd four four two because putting Beryl in in the forward, and then having Alex Dixon and Miguel out on the, the wings, you really had uh, four forwards out on, on the pitch. Um, but, you know, the what was interesting, though, is that when we didn't have the ball, Burrell did drop. In the first couple minutes of the game, you, you did see Burrell kind of ease in there with uh, Woj, who was a lone striker, uh, when we didn't possess the ball, you you seen Burrell kind of sneak in there with next to Woj and to really kind of pressure Swell Park a little bit, and they did, you know, they generally pass the ball to the keeper and the keeper would kick it, um, you, but that that kind of kind of faded a little bit toward as the game progressed and it was just Woj out there and uh, Burrell dropped into the midfield, um. You know, uh, I'll come back on that point after we we finish talking about this game. But um, you know, the back going back to the pressing, the the lack of uh, pressing, the intensity. Um, it wasn't it wasn't like the energy completely set back during the entire twenty something minutes. But for the majority of the time, they were playing really content. Um, there, I thought they maybe got a little too complacent, and you really didn't see a lot of the pressure 
even at times until Swope Park was down at the last fourth of the pitch. Um, and that's when you see the energy really starting to uh, uh, pressure Swope Park a little bit more and uh, the, the try to cause a little bit of havoc. But I just don't think you can get away with that in, in this league. Um, it, you know, it, it's this league's way too, too tough for that. Um, but, you know, the, the Belmar goal itself, though, was uh, a bad goal to give up, I thought. Um, Richard Dixon just got beat by his former St. Louis teammate, and he was able to send in a cross that looked eerily similar to that of Kalen Rydens to Sebastian Dalgard during the Rio OKC game. And when you have a player that was as close to the goal as Belmar, it really makes things difficult on Lorendi. Now, defending Dixon a little bit, again, you know, um, not saying that he... He, he, he did mess up. Um, he shouldn't have gotten beat. And if he didn't get beat, there was this was, was never going to happen. But somebody should have been marking um, Belmar. And he was a, a free body inside the box. You, you, you can't have that. So, you know, he wasn't the only person to um, mess up in, in this, um, the, the, this moment, I guess, or this this minute um but this was really i thought again was the the moment that really um propelled swope park in this game um you know statistically speaking it, it, at the end of the first half the 80 percent completion percentage in, in our half our territory is way too much um to give and you know i think jimmy nielsen you know, to his credit, seen what was going on and had the same idea that we're showing way too much respect and that we're giving him way too much space to create these these opportunities that they're having and we're really making things way too easy for them. And in the second half, the, the club really started to press and you've seen that it looked eerily or did look similar to the first 24 minutes in terms of the intensity. It was it was not lacking there for the energy that they were really pressing and um, really causing issues. I think for Swope Park, but unfortunately, uh, at the 62nd minute uh, was the blessing score, and this was a blessing for Swope Park because. Um, that this was a, a very unlucky goal uh, for you know for the energy because I felt like that you know there's not much they really could have done on this goal. Um, it, it started when Corvo Rubius um, had the ball in, in the midfield, and I don't know if uh, Jose Barril took it or if uh, Corvo Rubius passed the ball to Barril. But whatever happened, Burrell got the possession, and um, really unchar- uncharacteristically lost possession in the midfield by a Swope Park player. Um, he was able to poke the ball out of Burrell, and I think if you could really kind of um, 
make a a, a a tough case for the energy. It's it's simply that you can't lose. You know, you got to take better care of the ball that far deep on your side of the pitch. You know, giving the the position of everyone else on the on the field who was kind of far up forward. But the the ball was poked out, um, and it really took an unlucky bounce for the energy. It was really the worst bounce that the energy could possibly have dreamed of. And, um, you know, if it happened, if it bounced anywhere else on the pitch, I think they're fine. But, unfortunately, it took it, the ball went straight to that Solal guy or whatever. So, I don't know the guy's name. But he was the, the quick winger for uh, Swope Park and uh, KC player. You know, he took the ball and, you know, kind of ran by Dixon. I, if I remember right, it might have been Daly. But um, he, whoever it was didn't get necessarily beat. But he was able to send in a cross. And, and the cross um, reached blessings. And Corvo Rubius was just a millisecond late. Uh, and blessings was able to connect on a goal. It, you know, it was a really a tough goal to, to give because, um, you know, defensively, you know, once they got the possession, you, you know, it's, it, the club really didn't do a whole lot, you know, a whole lot of wrong. They, they did everything they could possibly do. It was, it was more of one of those plays where it just took an unlucky bounce and then it was just a, a great setup by Swell Park and not necessarily uh, an error for the energy. Um, the only error really you can make in this case was losing the, the ball out it, that far back in the midfield, given the position of everyone else on the pitch. But, um, you know, it was it was more or less a good play by Swope Park. But, again, that goal, the first goal we gave up, obviously hurt. So now they're up 2-1. to one. And the energy really started to push people forward. Uh, the midfield really was uh, further up. And, you know, nine minutes after the blessing goal, um, that Sali guy was able to it beat Dixon on a counterattack and score his goal. Um you know, I, I kind of feel bad for Dixon on this because Christian Duke was the one who delivered the ball to uh, Solo or whatever. And it was one of those positions where it was extremely difficult for Richard Dixon because you had Christian Duke who was um, r- running forward and then you have the, the Solo guy coming in from behind. Um, you know, the, I, I think that communication between him and Daly probably could have been better on this and he could have probably focused on Sali but you know maybe he just got beat but I feel like maybe he might have hesitated there for a minute because of the abnormal position he was at Um, and of course the midfield was playing um, really far up at this time because they're trying to get an equalizer so they were you know they they weren't going to be able to help defensively and um you know it's one of those plays again where you just gotta tip your hat off the swope park because it was a a really a good ball by by duke 
Um, Sully was able to get on the end of it and have a one-on-one with Lorendi and, and, and beat him. And, um, you know, it was it was a good play for Swope Park. Um, a very good play. But, um, you know, that pretty much covers the, the game itself. I, I have a lot more minutes uh, that I've written and things that took place in this game. But, um, you know... I, I don't know if I, I should... I mean, they're just kind of minor stuff. But, you know, players did play pretty solid. There was some good performances. Uh, one that comes to mind that, you know, I, I've written his name down several times throughout my notes. Um, Kyle Hyland played, I thought, pretty solid. Um, he He was really kind of matched up with Storm a lot. And really made Storm's life uh, miserable and aggravated him. I know statistically speaking, Storm played great. But, you know, at the times in which he was at the final third of the pitch, when he tried to send in a cross, Highland was there to meet, meet the ball. And then one time when he tried to attack Highland himself, um, he did get the ball past Highland, but Highland was able to almost box him out. Um, like a basketball player, and uh, while Cody Andrews uh, was a- <laughs> clearing the ball out, it was kind of comical to see, um, you know, th- this Storm guy on on the floor, you know, trying to uh, get get something from the official to get a penalty, and Highland was kind of laughing uh, at the background, shaking his head. <laughs> but um, you know, I thought he had a really good game. I thought another guy who had a really good game was Daly. Uh, Daly really played well. He was put in a lot of stressful positions, just given the nature of uh, Jimmy's tactics of having the the left and right back play forward when the energy has possession, which I do like, by the way. Um, You know, he played outstanding. You know, um, again, a lot of one-on-one opportunities... Um, that I thought he did very well in. Um, he, he was able to really help, um, re- I guess you can say really help um, dimish some of the mistakes that uh, Richard Dixon um, was was facing or you know experienced throughout the entire game because he was able to step in and uh, clear some of these these mistakes, whether it was forcing a corner or forcing a throw-in. But, you know, going back to Richard Dixon, um, you know, James Poling said that, you know, he he, kind of called him out a little bit in the article. Um, But what he said in the article was true. But there's something that fans should also, you know, take out of that. Richard Dixon did some good things in this game. He did some very good things in this game. Um, he did get beat. You know, I, I think the one that the one time he got beat that really hurt us was the first time. Uh, I, I will kind of have sympathy. I will have sympathy for him at the the third time during the counterattack because I felt like that was more of a communication thing than anything. But um, you, you, the first time though. You know when his former teammate was able to send in across the Belmore, that that was the one that really hurt the energy. But at that time, the whole team was really playing complacent. Um, but you know he did make some very good plays. Um, 
if it wasn't for him, Swope Park probably would have scored a couple more goals. Um, there was one time um, at the 28th minute, uh, Richard Dixon actually was the only guy between um, a Swope Park player with the ball and the net. Um, literally, it seemed like at a point-blank range where it was just an easy tap-in. Uh, it was a brilliant cross, I believe, by Swope Park. Um, so Lorindy wasn't necessarily out of position. He was just playing what was being played uh, the second before the cross. And then, you know, Dixon was able to get in there, actually tackled uh, the stop the ball and force a goal kick, which, uh, you know, I think it was a corner. But regardless, it was a really good play by Dixon. Um, he did have some good moments. He did have some bad moments. Um, but I think him and this entire team, regardless, I think are going to improve uh, on this game. Uh, by no means, I think they're in serious trouble. Um, going When this game uh, was originally played, I, I had work at 10 o'clock, so I was able to really think about this game a lot while I was at work, and I was thinking, man, you know, I was just so frustrated um, that the club, you know, got beat 3-1. to one. That was the only thing I was thinking about. I really didn't understand how those things developed, and the first goal was still so frustrating as a fan because I felt like it was the energy relaxing and playing more contently um, and not as much as luck being on Swope Park side or Swope Park making uh, an outstanding play. Uh, I felt like it was more or less uh, us being content. But the second half, both of those goals, I, I, I'm I, not too upset about. I'm upset that we didn't get the three points, but given the circumstances that we were at because of the first goal, I'm not really upset with the, the two goals that we did concede in the second half because the blessing goal was really... Uh, an unlucky goal and then the Solly goal was one in which everyone was kind of forward out of position playing forward so they can try to get an equalizer it's definitely not the way how the energy wanted to start the season but it's definitely not the worst thing that could have possibly happened um they did make mistakes those mistakes are easily correctable I think Jimmy Nielsen's uh defense is going to have the defense really, really uh, playing lights out this week. I think they're going to really come excited and, um, you know, eager to get some kind of points. And I think uh, the switchbacks will be too. But, um, you know, just a couple of statistics real quick before we move forward with the switchbacks game. Um, the Arguably the most uh, painful statistic for the energy is the 83.6% pass completion percentage that Swope Park had in in the game. This is the first, you know, this is the best in the USL after week one. Now things probably changed for him last night because they they did play last night and also won last night, won nothing. But, um, you know, that was, that we, I think that's a really good reflection on us being content for, you know, the 20 or so minutes. And then, um, of course, if you're down, you know, you're going to be out of position. So, I mean, it, 
it, it, that's a that's a tough stat. It, it's you know to look at, but again, I feel like that the energy is going to do something a little different this week. They might do something different with the lineup. They might do something different with um, the formation. And tactically, I think they're going to do something different on both. But the 83.6% completion percentage was the first in the USL. Um, but also, Swope Park's 76.1% um, percentage of completions in terms of passes is also the highest. The, the 76.1% was in the energy's half. So the 83.6, the entire field, the 76.1, only the energy's half. Um, you know, again, that's really unacceptable um, and really tough to, to swallow if you're an energy fan. Um, you know, they did own 60% of the possession. And uh, something that's really interesting, uh, Kamal, Storm, and Bard... Barnathon, I think is how you say that. These three players made their debuts for Swope Park, their professional debuts. And out of all the players who made their professional debuts, um, Kamel and Storm were ranked number one and number two respectively for the pass accuracy completion percentage. And then um, Barnathon was ranked number eight on that and this is for pro debuts top 10 percentage of pass completions i'm going to talk about that here in a minute just keep that in mind um but the energy on the other hand some negative statistics for the energy obviously if they had 60 percent of the possession the energy had 40 but another one that is really kind of surprising is that the energy was only one out, one out of ten for crosses. So uh, crosses really didn't work uh, for, for the club. But um, a couple of interesting and good statistics for the club. Um, you know, they did get 55, per, or they did win 55% of the aerial duels. And um, they had 16 total shots, I believe, and six of them were on target. And that's compared to Swope Park's nine shots. So the energy definitely created more chances. That's probably something that you would expect for a team that was trailing for the most part of the game. But uh, Swope Park really didn't sit back, you know, throughout the entire game. They did maybe a little bit near towards the end, but for the most part, they were they were relentless on the press. And I hope that's something that the energy can take note of, is just how relentless they were. Um, a couple of uh, uh, statistics I think will surprise people is at the midfield. Corbo Rubius had a 93.3% um, completion pass... Um, pass completion percentage and he had the third most touches in for the energy the guy who had the second most touches was philip who was of course the other midfielder and he had a 90 percent uh, pass completion percentage i'm bringing this up because it's interesting because we lost the possession battle but yet we the the midfielders 
um, you know, in terms of passing, did a pretty solid job. So what exactly went wrong for the club? You know, how was this? Uh, I have a couple of ideas, you know, on why this happened. And I already alluded to it earlier, and I could be completely wrong. Uh, keep in mind, guys, a, you know, also for future references, Ashley and I, we don't have any playing experience in the sport. We're just fans. And we're not fans, you know, lifetime fans either. We've been fans really since the uh, this club started the form. Um, and, you know, the World Cup, the last World Cup, uh, Roma, you know, that's where we really kind of started getting into this sport. So we're not by, by any means experts on this. So keep that in mind. But, um, you know, I feel like that, as I mentioned earlier, you had um, Jose Barrio playing up forward. Uh, on paper, it, it looked like a 4-2 four, four on the television. Um, but if we had the ball, you know, it, it, on the energies page, it looked like a 4-2-4. A four, when we had the ball, it was it was almost like a uh, two four four because Highland and Dixon both were pushing forward, and then Miguel and uh, the other Dixon, Alex, were both pushing forward. So, um, you know, I, I think the the possession, I, I think it has to do partly because of the formation. Um, maybe even players' position, as well as the pace in which the club was playing. Um, you know, I mentioned that we, you know, we we had four, technically four forwards playing by having Brill out in, in the, uh, as the other striker with um, Woshek or Woj. Um, you know, those were the two strikers, technically. Um, but you also had Miguel and Dixon who were playing in the midfield, but those guys are attacking wingers. So you had, essentially you had four forwards and two midfielders and, uh, the two midfielders, of course, being Corporal Rubius and Philip. Um, what's interesting about this is that, uh, Pablo Guzman did not, um, make the, the, uh, he made the trip, I think. I, I don't think uh, he didn't play. So something happened with him, and that's going to be interesting to see what happens moving forward. But I feel like that's that has has to explain part of the reason why the possession battle was a little lopsided was the fact that we only had maybe two true midfielders in the game. Um, I thought the pace that we played to this position was um, really fast. Um, this is a position we've seen a lot last year. And in this game, we've seen, seen a lot of things that we saw last year in terms of the lack of possession. And, um, you know, it, I, I think that has to have some kind of correlation, uh, the, this formation and, um, you know, our, our ability to maintain possession um, because of that, because of what we've seen last year. And again, a lot of it may have to be because of uh, the personnel that we have out on the field, too. Uh, I understand the philosophy of it, though. It, it looks good on paper to have four attacking forwards at one time going down and having, um, you know, two midfielders with 
with Richard and Highland beside them, and then having Cody Andrews and um, um, Fink, or not Fink, sorry, um, Daly in this case, in this game, having both of those players staying back for a counterattack, it looks good on paper because you, you think that you can overwhelm the team. But it's really kind of a counterattack-based uh, offense. So I think the energy came into the game, maybe thinking that they, maybe thinking that they weren't going to win the possession battle, or maybe just trying to really kind of put the focus more on uh, counterattacking than possession. You know, I, that's something I can't really answer. But it just seems like that there's some correlation with the formation that we've seen this in this game. And, uh, you know, with, with last year when we ran the formation a lot. And also having four uh, forwards, essentially four forwards, instead of um, two forwards and four midfielders, I think played a lot into the possession battle as well. But something else that I think played a major impact in this game, arguably played a big um, deal of possession, had a major, was a major factor with the possession was when we didn't have the ball, ironically enough. When uh, we went back to the one five four formation with Woj being our um, only guy forward and Burrell dropped into the midfield, I thought this was um, not a, a great move, tactically speaking, because, um, you know, I felt like when Burrell was pushed up at times, and uh, went with Woj up forward. I felt like that they kicked the ball back to the keeper. When they do this, when they, uh, you know, they the keeper has to either kick the ball up in the air or kick the ball out of bounds. He, you know, he's not going to be able to dribble past everybody and uh, go for goal. And you know, maybe he can pass it to somebody on the ground. Um, but hopefully the, the, the pressure is on for him to either kick it up in the air or kick it out of bounds. But if they were to do this, this would have played right in the energy's hands. Because if they kick the ball out of bounds, then the game slows down. And, it, you know, let's just assume that the energy did this after they went up one nothing. In the 24th minute. If they were to, to, to do this. At that time. Swo Park players. Will probably be getting frustrated. Because. They, they, you know. If the ball's out of bounds. Kicked out of bounds. Because. The, not only can the energy. Waste a little bit of time. But the pace of the game slows down. And that is clearly something. That Swo Park did not want. That's something that they, they they wanted to keep the pace, you know, a, a very rigorous pace. They, they That's what they wanted. They had players that were in extremely good shape because they've been playing, practicing longer, I should say. Um, so, you know, I felt like that the energy really kind of missed an opportunity there of having maybe another guy next to the Woj, you know, maybe having three guys pressing up forward. I, I don't know if you want three or not. Um, but you know, at least two guys pressing forward, the force the uh, the goalkeeper to either kick the ball out or to kick it up in the air, which you know, again, he kicks the ball out, it slows the game down, and it will aggravate 
the the players and and the uh, home home crowd. But if you kick the ball up in the air, again, this plays in the energy's hands. Because as I mentioned, the energy won 55% of the aerial duels. So I, I felt like the energy was a more physical team. Um, and I felt like that they could have really capitalized on that. And of course, winning the aerial duels, maybe you can get a little bit more of that possession as well. And again, continue to frustrate Swope Park. So I think this is really something that we're going to see or something that I hope we'll see change in the upcoming games for, for the club, tactically speaking. Uh, I, th- I believe that will help with the possession. I believe it will help frustrate the team. And it's really something that Swope Park did to us, you know, simply. They, they had several guys who were up, up playing up forward, you know, pressuring our defenders. And, you know, that's how they scored two of their goals was by doing that. That they only scored one goal when our defense was set, but they scored two goals from counterattacks in the second half. And the one goal that when they scored when our defense was set, we weren't pressing. We were playing back, you know, playing very, very contently. Um, we, we, you know, I, I just feel like that could be a change that you may suspect to see, or you may expect to see against the switchbacks. But we'll have to wait and see what Jimmy what Jimmy feels. And another thing to back up this um, this idea, as I mentioned, Kamal, Storm, and Barthmon made their pro debuts. They all had ninety over ninety percent passing completion percentages, um, and which made the top ten list. As I mentioned, Kamal and Storm number one and number two on that list. Um, Barthmon or something like that, number eight. What's interesting is that Storm and Barthanon are defenders, and Kamal is a central defend- midfield defender. So all three of those guys are playing back. Again, I feel like if we had another guy playing forward, trying to pressure the ball a little bit, I feel like that maybe even their passing percentages would drop dramatically. Um, you know, maybe not you know below eighty percent, but. I, I feel like that they would have struggled a little bit more. They would have been exposed a little bit more. And, you know, that would have been frustrating for them. Another thing I think that the club probably should have done, now looking at it hindsight, if, if they were going to run this formation, I felt like that they either, I really felt like that they needed Alex Dixon forward instead of Jose Brill. Because I feel like Brill is a better uh, guy to be sending in the crosses. And I feel like Alex Dixon could use his speed a little bit more if he was to be a little far up the pitch. I feel like that the energy could have utilized his speed a little bit more. So, you know, um, that's something else that I thought might have been a little mistake now looking at hindsight. But, you know, um, I think that's all what I have really on my notes um, the, the energy could, uh, obviously they could have finished a little bit better in terms, uh, when they made the final third, there's a couple times where you didn't know if they really just didn't pull the trigger quick enough, or if they just had a little, uh, rough, too much of a touch on the ball. 
Um, and of course, Miguel went down in a box too, which is controversial as well. But I'm willing to let that slide since the official will was willing to give Lorindy a yellow instead of a red. So, um, you know, my player of the game, and I know I said this guy should have played the midfield instead of playing at forward. Uh, but again, this could reiterate my point why he should be playing in the midfield. Uh, my player of the game was Jose Barril. Um, th this guy really played well. Um, I, I thought Daly played well, and I thought Highland played well. But I thought Barril unquestionably was the player of the game. Offensively, he wasn't very active. He only had one shot. Just missed the top of the crossbar. If he would have got it, it probably would have been 2-2, two to two, I believe, at that point. It might have been 2-1 in favor of the energy. He, he was really quiet offensively. But everything else that this guy did was outstanding. Um, his pass accuracy was 90%, which was the... Um, it wasn't the most for the club. Corvo Rubius was the most at 93.3%. But Jose Barril did have the most touches at 33 touches. Corvo Rubius wasn't far from there. Um, but nonetheless, it was, it was a fairly good passing day for Jose Barril. But Jose Brill did get three interceptions, which was the most on the team. Um, he did get seven out of nine tackles, which is also the most on the team. Both of those, the most tackles and the most attempts. And he also won 14 out of 21 duels, which was by far the most on the team, both in terms of attempts and um uh, completion or you know the t actual tackle itself the completion of the tackle so um, two and two also in aerial duels I didn't write that down but he was also very effective with the aerial duels um, you know this guy I was very impressed with which kind of brings me up to my next my next topic is that you know giving the red you know for for talking you know it's really a second yellow but uh, you know I'm not a very big fan of that um you know we've seen it also with Lionel Messi and by no means am I a fan of Messi um but man that was it's frustrating to see that uh, a player got a yellow or two because of what he said rather than what he actually did if he was saying something that was absolutely ridiculous, I understand it. But if he's just getting after you, you know, for not calling a foul, then I think as an official, you got to have a little bit of thicker skin because you should be expecting those kind of things. So I was really disappointed, um, you know, at the official for calling that. But, you know, it is what it is. But let's turn our focus now to the switchbacks of Colorado we are at the 55th minute so I'll remember that um, but we will uh, be talk uh, now previewing the game against the switchbacks um, obviously this is a fun game to watch if you are a fan of the energy or the switchbacks um, really an even series I believe it is 2-2-1 two, two, and one. Uh, two wins for the energy, two losses for the energy, and one tie. Um, Colorado Switchback swept the energy last year. 
Um, they beat the Energy, I believe, at the first game of the season, first home game, I should say, for the Energy, and then managed to beat them at Colorado Springs. Energy is also 1-1-1 one, one, and one at Colorado Springs, um, which is interesting because Colorado cre- clearly has an advantage you know, at home just because of the altitude. But, you know, some of the concerns and strengths that this team has, Colorado has, you know, in the offseason, um, the strength obviously for them was the back line. Really, they call, um, Nicholas Murray said it was the back six. Um, he was referring to uh, Phillips, um, Burt, and Suggs returning back as well as um, – let me see if I can say his name right. I think it is. Um, I don't have his name written anywhere, but I think it's Vincolne or something like that. Uh, Vercolne. Uh, you know, he he was a really good player. Surprisingly, he didn't start in this last game for Tulsa against Tulsa. But you know, the strengths of this team is clearly clearly at the back line. Um. And I can tell you from watching the game against Tulsa, they had a fairly solid midfield too. But, man, a concern for them. You know, we've seen this with Tulsa, and we've seen, you know, this was one of their questions in this offseason. They lost three out of their four top goal scorers last year. Um, You know, partly, you know, due to the energy with Miguel Gonzalez. But Mike Seth as well was a huge loss for this team. I believe um, Seth is playing with Phoenix Rising. But, you know, that was a huge question mark for um, for this Witchbacks team is how are they going to be able to produce goals? How are they going to be able to score? And, you know, for Switchbacks fans, they got to be a little concerned after the Tulsa match. But... Another position where they're obviously a little bit concerned after after this Tulsa match is the goalkeeping position. They lost USL all USL second team goalkeeper Gorick to St. Louis. So, you know, a couple of things that they clearly have the right to be concerned about. Um, you know, the the scoreline though for the Tulsa game was very 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 unfortunate um which I'll talk a little bit more on that here in a second you know they came out in a 4-3-3 tactically speaking nothing new with this team it, you know they have the same coach as last year and they run really the same system as last year um they have that very unique press where they kind of surround the player corral the player and force them to make a mistake um and they're relentless on their presses too on pressing um, you know, they played a lot of long balls. Uh, I think it was also for the same reason why the energy did so uh, several years ago for the quick counterattacks. But, you know, they did play a lot of long balls. They played a lot of crosses, you know, which is something that the energy tried to do this past week as well. Um, but, you know, they played against a very, what looks like a very good Tulsa team in Tulsa. Um and this game was kind of bizarre because at the 17th minute for the switchbacks, they actually got the lead. Um, Malcolm was the one who got the goal, but it was a great assist from Freighter. And it, this really kind of looked like it came out of nowhere because Freighter, 
I believe he is from Jamaica. He's extremely quick. He was being corralled by a couple of Tulsa defenders, but somehow managed to get the ball out in a in a position in which Malcolm can reach it. And he delivered this ball that really didn't look like it had a lot of pace to it. But because of the accuracy uh, and the placement of that ball, it, it was enough to beat, um, I think it's Brian's, you know, goal, third uh, goalkeeper for the energy, former goalkeeper for the energy, um, and Ryo OKC. He, he was able to beat him, though, off what really looked like kind of a, a I don't want to say a weak goal, but it looked like it was a goal that a keeper could have stopped. Um, and they were up one nothing at that point. And they didn't let loose on the pressure either. They continued the pressure of Tulsa. I thought maybe that's what happened. is Maybe they, they got content like we did. But they didn't. They pressured. And they played hard. But Tulsa just got a little bit lucky. I mean, they they had a free kick. Um, off of a foul, kind of in a dangerous position. And, um, man, I don't know who shot this for Tulsa. I'll know whenever uh, I start, you know, previewing Tulsa. I'll remember his name then. But the, I think it's a guy who has La Liga experience. But this guy, he out-tricked everyone, I, I believe, who was at the game or watching the game, because instead of going for where you think he would, he went towards the near, uh, I think it was the near post, and somehow squeezed it in, surprised the keeper, um, Luthi, which this is the one goal I don't blame Luthi for conceding, because it, it was just a, a brilliant free kick. It, the placement of it was perfect, and, it, it, you know, it's, it's up for nomination for USL Goal of the Week. I don't know how well it did on it, but it's just an extraordinary free kick. Very unfortunate. But then it gets ugly for the switchbacks. Um, at the 31st minute, Tulsa scores again. And uh, this time it was the goalkeeper's fault. Um, Luthi threw... Uh, he went to throw the ball to the left back, but he did so on the right side of the field. Obviously, plenty of time for Tulsa to react, and the player seeing that ran up to the ball, was able to get the ball before um, the the defender for the Colorado Springs, and then the keeper just put himself in an extremely tough position. It's a two-on-one, um, you know, a, a pass to, I think the guy's name's Ivan or something like that. He, he played for Rio last year. I, I don't know. It's kind of embarrassing. I don't know. But, you know, he had a, an open goal and was, you know, easy for him to, to tap that in. But it was a huge critical mistake, though, from the keeper. Um, and, you know, not too long after that, during a corner kick, the keeper actually missed the catch. Now, it was cleared out, uh, fortunately, for the switchbacks. But that could have been extremely dangerous. Um, you know, the, the, this keeper, I feel bad for him because he doesn't have a lot of playing minutes um he did play for the timbers too last year um he doesn't have a lot of experience in the usl and i think that really showed in this game um and i think it really hurt his confidence surely the free kick didn't hurt his confidence because that was just amazing but man the the 
careless mistake though at the 31st minute had to hurt his confidence and I think that played a major impact in the way how he played um, the rest of the game um, but you know to defend him real quick or not really defend him for his mistakes but much like Richard Dixon who made mistakes for the energy um, this past week Luthi really had some moments of brilliance um, where he st- was able to stop the the roughnecks on several one-on-one opportunities uh, where in situations where the roughnecks somehow passed the the great defensive line of Colorado Springs so I thought that was really interesting um, the third goal though for the roughnecks came at the 51st minute in the second half Again, this was a keeper's mistake and such a costly mistake. Um, you know, not really careless, but just so costly. You don't expect these kind of mistakes at this level. But he was—he went up and was going to kick the ball. The ball was played back. Uh, it was an aerial ball played back to him. He couldn't catch it because it was passed back from a switchback player by the foot. So if you caught it, it you know, there's there's a foul. But um he he tried to kick the ball and just missed the ball and um again that guy from Rio OKC he had he had the two easiest goals he'll see all year between the one that um was an open goal after his his uh buddy passed it to him after he stole it from the left back and then this one right here where the the keeper just totally whipped the ball um trying to kick the ball out for a clearance you know, he, he was able just to run up and bump into the ball and place it in the back of the net um, and ran to the roustabouts afterwards. But, um, you know, the last goal came at the 78th minute. It was a free kick, and this was a brilliant free kick again by the Roughnecks. Um, you know, I don't want to say that the keeper really I don't want to say this was his fault exactly but he could have done a little bit better um he going in to stop the free kick he you know instead of when you go in you got to make that commitment you you can't go in thinking maybe I might get it maybe I won't you got to go in jump up push everyone out of your way and catch the ball you got to be that physical um physical player but he he wasn't. Um, he he had his head down, his hands were down, and um, you know he it his eyes were closed. It appeared uh, from the replays, but um, he he didn't get his hand on the ball. Credit for Tulsa though for such a nice little uh, chip over. It, it was an aerial tri- chip that was over the keeper. Um, regardless, it was it was a brilliant you know play by the Roughnecks. But if you're the keeper, you're if you're making that commitment to get the ball, then you got to be 100% committed to get the ball. So, you know, they're very unlucky on that. Um, obviously, I didn't mention a lot of chances that um, the switchbacks had. And that's because, you know, despite being down for, you know, over 60 minutes, they only managed 11 shots on, you know, throughout the whole day. And only four of them were on target. So big question mark, the two big question marks for the Switchbacks fans is uh, where are the goals going to come from and what about the keeper? Uh, who's going to be the keeper? Is it going to be, you know, can he play at the same level or not far behind Gorick? 
And based off what they've seen in this past week against Tulsa, both of those still look like they're in serious question because the, the offensive per productivity from this team was lacking and the, the keeper's performance was very underwhelming. Um, but, you know, they do have potential uh, for goals, and I think it'll come once the players have more time with one another. Um, a lot of new players out there playing with each other, but there was at one point where Freighter uh, had a little bit of space, and he, he really showed off his speed. He has incredible speed. Um, I think that offensively things will come together. I think the biggest concern for the switchbacks, though, is going to be the goalkeeper position. If Luthi does get the start this week against the Energy, will he learn from his mistakes? That's going to be a huge question. Or is you know, is Dan Jackson going to get the start? Is, uh, I think it's Moise. Is he going to get the start? Um, you know, another thing that's interesting is if uh, Luke um, Riccone, if, if he gets to start, or if he's also going to be a super sub this week like he was last week. But to just kind of reiterate the point that the uh, switchback's defense is not too shabby. Um, they had an 88% tackling um, percentage. I mean, that's really good. Um, you know, the two two goals, they lost 4-1. to one, But two of those goals came from keeper mistakes. You can make a case for three. And, you know, if you don't want to make the case for three keeper mistakes, two of those goals came from set pieces. So, in the terms of run and play, they really didn't give up much to Tulsa. Which, as Switchbacks fans, they got to feel good about that. That's a huge positive that they should take from this game, is that at the run of play, they weren't able really to concede a goal. But, man, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see exactly what happens this week against the switchbacks because typically you think the storyline with with a game like this it, it's the energy versus the switchbacks you know a, a rivalry of of respect really it, it's a rivalry you know at least for me speaking me and my wife i don't dislike the switchbacks i i, I really get excited when we play them because they're such a good team you know they're, they're not like arizona or now Phoenix rising. I, I hate them. I hate them. And I'll, I'll make that apparent when we do play them. And I don't like Sacramento. And then, you know, Tulsa, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't like dislike Tulsa because I feel like that we can, we beat them every single time we play them. But I mean, once Tulsa kind of slaps us around, then I'm going to hate them. But, I mean, I already seen some, some conversations with, with Energy fans and Tulsa fans, so I'm sure by the time the Derby gets here, I'm definitely going to be excited for it. But this is one of the most exciting games for, for the USL in general, and it is definitely a lot more exciting. I don't want to say it's a lot more exciting now, but this could have, this could be potentially the game of the week because you have two teams who had really a humbling defeat the past week, who are going to be urgent to get points on the board. For the switchbacks, 
this is their home opener in that high high altitude they want to get some points home they ha- they feel like they have to get points home and after their performance against the Roughnecks they feel like they they have to be urgent they got to be excited and as the fan base they got to be excited and you just got to think that if something was to happen if they were to replicate their performances of last week or if they were to get beat uh, by the energy, then you feel like that could, I don't want to say it will have long-term consequences for the team, but it would definitely be a huge blow for the for the, the team itself and the fan base. But, you know, they're, they're going to be ready. They're going to be ready. And I expect them to, to get their, their tweaks fixed. I expect them to have a better offensive flow in this game. And I expect them to have... Um, you know, I don't know if they're going to make changes or not, the keeper, but if they do make any starting lineup changes, that's the one to look for would be probably the keeper position. For the energy, they have to make changes because Jose Brill will not be able to play in this game. He got the red card for talking, which is stupid. But, you know, they have to make changes. The question for the energy is um, Pablo Guzman. Is he going to be back? If he's not going to be back, then who's going to step in? I really think uh, D- Daniel um, Gonzalez is ready. I felt like this preseason, he had an excellent preseason. And if I was to make any kind of predictions on who would play if Guzman was unable to, I would say Daniel Gonzalez will play. And I think he'll also play because there's that chemistry with him and his brother that we also seen during the preseason. And I feel like that could give an offensive spark to this energy team who's going to be playing against a very, very tough defense and some switchbacks. Some major, major matchups, though, in this game. Um... Oh man, I just thought about this. If Guzman's not able to make it, the energy's going to be really thin in the midfield because um, there's really two midfielders with him and Brill. That and I know Brill played forward this past game, but he can play in the midfield too. I mean, those are two midfielders that now the energy will not have. So that's going to be interesting to see exactly what happens, what kind of shape the energy's in, and who they're able to have out on you know from the roster. Um, and of course, you know, the back line for the energy, because I know a lot of energy fans felt like the, the team's back line was a little slow, though I, I will kind of, I, I would disagree with that. I felt like a couple times we were out of position, but there's a couple times we did get beat by the speed of Swope Park. So I, I'd agree and disagree, but we did lose individual battles in the back, so the it's going to be interesting to see if Jimmy Nielsen is he going to put his trust on, on the same players or is he going to be um, experimenting a little bit? Um, because as I mentioned, they're playing against a team that did struggle a little bit, but you know having a, a you know Malcolm who scored the goal, who is a Guam you know national team player, and then the speed of. Um, Oh, what's that guy's name? Um, Fratter. You know, those two guys definitely have um, the capability of making something happen in, in the back line. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there with the energy. Um, but an interesting matchup also 
um, will be this midfield because of this to see who they have out on the pitch um, what they're going to do tactically differently um, you know I feel like honestly I feel like the switchbacks doesn't have to make a lot of changes tactically I feel like that they they just got to go out like they did against Tulsa maybe make a couple of position changes and get get find a way to get the offense aflow the energy has to probably make some changes personnel-wise. They have to, as I mentioned with Burrell's Red, but they'll probably have to make a couple more tactical changes, and they'll probably have to change up the formation as well. So there's an illusion of surprise, I think, maybe this week for the energy that you won't see with the switchbacks. But, you know, it, again, it's going to be a very interesting game, a game in which storyline should be, a, this is another great rivalry matchup between the Colorado Springs and Energy, or it should be Miguel's return home. But instead, it, it's going to be who can handle the the pressure, who can handle the adversity, which team's going to respond from the adversity. And it's going to be tough to predict because the altitude will have an effect. And, uh, you know, it's just going to be a tough match. Very tough match. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. And I don't feel comfortable necessarily in making a prediction if I don't know who is and who isn't available for, for the energy. Though I do think Colorado Springs are relatively healthy. Um, but if I had to make a, a prediction, if I had to make a guess, um, you know, I, I think the energies forward, their, their attacking front is better than the Roughnecks. Um, and, and they did have some opportunities. Like I said, Luthi didn't have an absolute horrible game. He didn't have a great game. He made some huge mistakes, but he made some good plays too. Um, plays that you'd expect an offense to really capitalize on. Um, you know, I, I think the energy can get one in, but uh, I also think the switchbacks can get one in too because of the altitude that's going to have an effect and, you know, and definitely having only three substitutes as well. Um, but this could be a very high-scoring game because both teams are going to be so eager eager to get points. And based off their performance last week, the both teams may come out risky. Who knows? But I expect both teams to keep their composure because the season is super early. I still expect both of these teams to reach the playoffs. One, I, Colorado could be a sleeper because it may take them a while to figure out this front, the, their attack. But once they do figure it out, they're, they're going to be tough. Um, you know, so, I mean, they could be a, a dark horse later this season in the USL. But if I had to make a prediction 1-1, it wouldn't shock me if it becomes a high-scoring game because uh, it just depends on the team's approach. But with that being said, um, you know, one bit of news that came out, very interesting uh, 2019, the USL is to launch a third, divi third division league. 
um, this is probably a good thing because the expansion, at least for the second division, will halt. I don't know if I really like the third division league status because I feel like they can probably do a promotion relegation. But I think, you know, within the league itself, and some of you guys may be thinking that's the most stupidest thing I've heard. Well, at least there will be some form of promotion relegation in in the United States, um, even though if it is within a single league. But, um, you know, uh, the, I think the reason why they have to have the third division status is because of the requirements for... Um, for the the status, you know, the stadium requirements, so on and so forth, and I feel like that's why they're. I mean, my, you know, they're not going to have promotion relegation. I mean, with between the the USL now and the USL part, uh, you know, part two or two point or whatever in two thousand nineteen. But hopefully, this means that the USL will be featured in FIFA soon. That would be pretty awesome, and I think that's something that many of us can agree on. So with that being said, um, you know, Ashley will be back on Sunday, so we will be back. We will we will be here to recap this game, the Switchbacks game, uh, next week. Uh, we plan on getting that episode out on Wednesday night. Um, you know, we will also preview our next game, which will be our home opener, finally. So, see you guys later.